Our scripture for today is Colossians 1, 15 through 23. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in, in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of the Lord. All right. We good, Phil? All right. Thanks, Kim. Uh, wow. Well, good morning, first of all. If I can get this thing down, I might just leave it. Um, man, I'm just excited to be here. Like Tim said, I'm, my name's Tanner. Um, honored to be here and open God's, God's Word together. Um, but I just need to say up front, just I am a little nervous. Definitely a lot nervous. I can just feel my heart beating out of my shirt right now. Um, but at the same time, I'm, I'm just deeply, deeply humbled and, and grateful uh, to be a part of this church um, to, to just the way that you guys have, have welcomed me and my family um, and just surrounded us with love and with grace. Um, and just you guys want to know us and care about us. And just the, just the way that you guys have come alongside of us and you want the best for us and you want to see us grow, even if that does mean it scares me to death at times. Uh, but it, it truly is just such a blessing. So I just want to start by saying thank you um, for that. Um, and it's, it's been my prayer as I've been preparing for this morning that, that the Lord would continue to grow me in this way and t continue to grow my family in this way, but not just for us, but for the church as a whole and for all of us in here, that the Lord would continue to grow us um, whenever we come up to things in life that scare us, whenever we're full of fear or we meet things face-to-face -face in this life that we don't necessarily want to take the next step forward because we're not sure what's going to happen. Um, just from the most scared man in the room right now, I just want to encourage us to follow God in those moments and to, and to rally around each other, to get each other's back, um, just to cover each other with grace in those moments. Um, whenever we feel like God, maybe he might be asking us to do the most impossible of tasks. Um, for you, it might not be standing up and preaching on a Sunday morning, but he could be, he could be asking you to reconcile a broken relationship that you have he could be inviting you to join or even lead a community group uh, in the church. He could be calling you to start a business or a nonprofit that benefits our community. Uh, it may scare you to death to tell your neighbor or your friend about Jesus. Or like, there's a very real chance that you walked in here this morning and you don't really know why you showed up. Um, you don't know a whole lot about God. And what you do know about God, you don't like. And so the scariest, the most bizarre, the most far out, the most impossible thing 
that you could do this morning would be to give your life to Jesus. And so in these moments, we not shy away from these things, but would we rather just press in with each other? Um, would we step into these moments not worried about ourselves, not worried about like what we can do and what we can't do, um, not focused on our weaknesses, but would we rather look to God as he's a creator and the sustainer of all things, and, and we know that he's good to us. And so it's my, hope, it's my hope that we would experience Jesus in a way this morning that emboldens us um, individually and as a church, um, a Jesus that is just so big and so magnificent, not that he wouldn't take away all of our fears or our worries, but in the midst of those, um, when we come up to those things face to face, would we move forward together because we know that our God is with us. And so let me pray and then we'll get into the text. And so, Jesus, we are just so grateful that you love us. Uh, We're grateful that you brought us here today. Um, We're grateful that you give us your word so that we can know who you are. And, God, we just ask that you would would teach us today. We ask that you would be the one um, that talks to us, Lord, that, that counsels us, that shows us where to go from here. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. And so, if you haven't got there already, you can turn to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. And of all things, the Apostle Paul starts off this section of Scripture in poetry. And so it's hard to tell if you're just reading your Bible, but the first five verses here, um, Paul actually writes a poem about Jesus, and he starts in verse 15. He says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And so what he's saying is that there's no God in heaven that's unlike Jesus that walked on earth. And so this may or may not make sense to us at first, but just, just think of it like this. Do you, want, do you want to know who God is? Do you want to know what excites him and like, what makes him sad or angry or upset? Do you want to know like, what, makes him, what makes him happy? What makes him um, motivated to jump up out of his seat and come running to you? Um, do you want to know like, at the core of who he is, like, what motivates him? Like, who is this God? If you're looking for answers to those questions, you look no further than Jesus Christ, because he is the image of the invisible God. And so the second, the second part of this verse, the firstborn of all creation, um, it isn't necessarily implying that Jesus was created or born, but in a poetic way, um, Paul is communicating to us that he, that Jesus, he's communicating like his status and his power over creation. So in like a royal language kind of firstborn way, he's saying that Jesus is not part of creation, yet he rules over all. And so let's move to verse 16. Uh, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And so here, here, Paul reminds us that not, nothing exists outside the reign and the rule of God. And so all things, so think like angels, galaxies, stars, the Rocky Mountains, even like the law of gravity, all things that we can see, all things that we can't see, all things that we can like touch and feel, and all the things that we can't touch and feel, all the things that make sense to us in our minds, and all the things that we have no idea how they work. We couldn't explain them if our life depended on it. All those things are created by Jesus through Jesus, and for Jesus. And so this verse is also implying with those things that, that all of us, all of us are moving toward Jesus. And so all of creation is on a collision course with Jesus for the final day. And so with everything moving toward him, Jesus could have easily, he could have easily justified himself by staying, staying in heaven with the Father, 
um, keeping a distance from us, not messing with us. Um, but for our good, he didn't do that. And I know that causes me a lot of questions, like why, why would he do that? And we're going we're gonna to dig into that a little bit in verse 20. And so just keep that, keep that thought in your head. And we're going to move on to verse 17. And so, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And so, so here Paul reminds us of Jesus's right place, so out in the world and also in our hearts. And so in verse 16, he specifically mentions things like thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. And so these, these are likely some things that the Colossian church was being hit hard with. So influences that were affecting the people of the Colossian church. And so some of them were probably like overtly um, like idolizing these things. And some of them maybe even like, uh, like subconsciously were starting to creep up into the people of the church where like, adding these things to Jesus, adding these things like, oh, it's the gospel, plus we've got to make sure that we've got the right status in society. Uh, and so Paul is just saying like, hey, guys, all these things that you're putting your hope in, that you're looking for to hold your life together, like those things might offer you a brief moment of satisfaction, but let me just save you some time and frustration and just simply like, don't, don't do that. And so... <laughs> Uh, there are some things that, that we might do that uh, with today, like 2020 in rural central Iowa, uh, that include but aren't limited to maybe like a vaccine for COVID-19. And so we're saying like, oh, if there's just this vaccine where we can get back to some sort of semblance of, of normal in our life, that our life would be much better, our life would be held together, and we could just move forward from there. And so there might be a slight bit of truth in that, but Paul's saying like, that's not what holds us together. Um, you, may be, you may be look to your ability to do more good than bad, which is another thing that could be, could be good for us, but at the end of the day, that's not what holds us together. Uh, like Paul mentioned authorities and thrones, some of us could look to political parties or presidential candidates to hold things together for us. If we just had the, had the right person in power, if we just had the right rules and policies in place, all these injustices would go away. Paul's like, no, that's not true either. Uh, maybe you look to your ability to work and to provide. And so you may be the guy that walked in here and you'll be quick to admit that, yeah, I'm not the, I'm not the smartest guy in here. I may be like not, I'm not the ta most talented guy in the room, um, but at least I can roll my sleeves up and I can get the work done and I can provide for my family in a way like that. And I'll be the first guy to say like, yeah, that's, that is a great quality to have. And we actually like would be benefited for more men like that in our world, in our, in our community. But I'm also going to be the first guy to tell you that that's not what holds your life together. And that's not where you find your hope. And so maybe, maybe the thing that keeps you going is making it to the weekend or being able to rest and relax, your, ne your next big vacation or epic road trip, just to forget all the things in your day-to-day -day life. Um, although they're good, um, and I'm looking forward to my next vacation as well, that's not where we find our hope either. Um, you could be looking to your family, which is another great gift uh, from the Lord, but at the end of the day, your family's not going to hold your life together either. Um, and some of us could look to money and resources, and as long as our 401k is growing at the right rate of return or our checking account is, has a certain amount of money in it, we think everything's good. And so some of these things are great, like I said, great gifts from the Lord, but 
Some of them even to give us a sliver of hope for like what Jesus is going to be bringing to us one day. But I just want to let us know that we can rest assured that all things hold together in Jesus, and that includes our day-to-day lives, and that includes our eternal hope. And so let's go to verse 18. Paul says, And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And so up until this point, Paul's just laying out this, this cosmic resume of Jesus. He's the creator, the sustainer. All things are created for him. And, and then he's just laying out just like a poetic version of Jesus' LinkedIn profile. And so maybe, and then I'm like, I had to read this a few times. And then he's, he says, he is the head of the body, the church. And then in my notes, I literally just have question mark, question mark, question mark. I'm like, are I, I had to read this a lot um, as I prepared for this. I'm like, are you sure, Paul, you didn't mean to write, like, and Jesus, like the creator, the sustainer, all these big, powerful, mighty things. Are you sure he didn't mean to write, like, he's also the commander-in-chief of the army of angels? Or maybe he's like the sculptor of, of Mount Everest. Or um, maybe Jesus, the master commander of the Milky Way. <laughs> I, had to, I had to do some deep, deep deep diving on this, but he really did mean to write, head of the body, the church. And so I finally came to the conclusion that it was just my view of the church that is too small, and perhaps perhaps yours is too. And the, and the plan that God has for his people is way bigger and way better than we could ever come up with. So just think of, think of it like this, like what if we weren't just a group of people that came to an elementary school every week and got together? What if being a part of a community group wasn't just another box to check off every week? And Madison, if you could close your ears for a second. What if um, serving in kids' church wasn't just an obligation that all of us try to avoid? And so, Madison, you can open your ears again. Uh, and what if, what if we just had a group of people that thought too small of the church? Uh, maybe we think it's similar to a sports team or like a membership to a gym or a membership to Costco where we just show up, we flash our membership card, we get what we want or what we think we need, we go home, and then we hope it lasts us for the whole week. Um, now, what, what would happen if we got a bigger, more appropriate view of the church that's being outlined in the scripture here? And so a perspective of the church is uh, that Paul is writing on a massive scale of like the creator and the universe is ahead of. And so I want us to be prayerfully considering, considering the answer to that question. And hopefully the Holy Spirit is convicting us and calling us individually and as a church in this moment of areas that we can step into and we can grow in um, as we grow as a body together. And so we're going to move on, but we're also going to come back to this question at the end. And so the, the verse 18, it also starts the second stanza of Paul's poem. And so the first part of his poem, uh, it illustrates Jesus as the author and king of creation as we know it today. So like the air that we breathe, the sun that hits our face when we walk outside. Paul's saying like, yes, that is, like Jesus is ruler of all of that right now in this very moment. And these next few verses are going to paint the picture. They're going to illustrate Jesus as a forerunner for the one who brings the new creation into existence. And so all that means is that everything is going to be made right one day. And so all the things that are messed up today, all the things that are broken by sin and corrupted by the fall, um, all the things that bring us pain and suffering, Jesus is going to make right. 
And this is our guarantee. And so everything that Jesus has experienced, namely resurrection from the dead and eternal life, is in store for those of us who find our hope in him. And so let's, let's keep moving to verse 19. And so for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And so again, again, going back to the beginning, um, there's no God in heaven unlike Jesus, and there's no Jesus that walked on this earth that is unlike God the Father in heaven. And so this may or may not make sense, but this is one of the most explicit verses on the deity of Jesus that's in the Bible. And so that's just a fancy way to say that Jesus is 100% man and he's 100% God. Or Jesus is 100% God and he's 100% man. Like those two things aren't separated. They're both true 100% of the time. And I know it, it confuses me too, but that's just what the Bible says. And we could, we could talk about that for the rest of our lives. We could ask questions about that. And hopefully we, we do that. But in, in turn, that means that God is also the head of the church. And so when we pray, when we sing these songs, whenever we confess our sins, whenever we receive um, the reassurance of grace that we have in Jesus, we do these things to God, the head of our church. And so, and he doesn't, he doesn't receive these things or see these things or dwell with us among these things and look at us with a scowl or kind of like this half-hearted, this half-hearted smile, or he doesn't even give us like one of those, oh, good, good job, buddy, like pat on the back, like you guys are getting a little bit better from last week. Like he truly looks at us with the a big cheesy smile on his face, and he's pleased to dwell with us. And so verse, verse 20, um, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so this verse, this verse reveals the ultimate purpose of all these things, which is to reconcile himself to all things. And as I read these verses, like, if I'm being honest, I just get so many more questions than I do answers. And I'm just thinking of like, how could he do such a thing? And then it's like, well, Tanner, if you just keep reading, you can find the answer. It says, by making peace by the blood of his cross. And I also want to point out that while he's reconciling all these things to himself, like verse 19 is still just as true that in the midst of everything that needs to be reconciled, in the midst of everything being reconciled, he God is pleased to be with us. And so whether we look at the world and everything that needs to be reconciled out there, or whether we look within ourselves, like in this church, uh, within our own families, within our own, our own souls, our own hearts, and we just realize everything that needs to be reconciled, everything that needs to be made right, um, we can take heart that God doesn't run away and ignore these things, but he actually knows these things intimately, and he chooses to come toward us. Uh, he chooses to pursue us, and he, he takes delight, and he finds joy in taking the burden on his own shoulders, and he loves being the one that is the one to reconcile all things to himself, and he does so by making peace by the blood of his cross. And so let's, let's get to verse 21 here. It says, and you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. And so I just want to make clear that verse 20 was the cutoff of the poem. Um, Paul doesn't start off with a third stanza in his poem here. He doesn't start off with a brand new second poem for us. He doesn't even like break out into song or anything. And the first two letters are and you. So talking about you and me. And we just get the normal sentence structure, normal words, normal paragraph form, um, nothing 
that really compares us to what's being described so far. And it's, this is helpful for a guy like me who's one, who sees the beauty and like the, like the awesomeness, the majestic nature of Jesus, the creator and sustainer of all things. And you're like, okay, I, can, I can't really wrap my head fully around it, but I can get somewhat of a picture. But how exactly does that relate to me and whenever I have to get up and go to work on Monday or whenever I'm around the dinner table this week with my family? Um, and Paul's very aware of that, so he, he lets us know. Um, he may not say the nicest things to us here, but um, at least he's going to be honest with us. He, he's not like, and you, who's kind of like Jesus, but on a smaller scale. He doesn't say, and you, who's the owner of everything that you can see from your back door. He doesn't say, uh, you, um, who's a pretty good guy, who has a, who has a chance if you would just stop screwing everything up. Um, he doesn't even say that you, the total sum of your, all your assets minus your liabilities. And so it may be kind of obvious at this point, but Paul, he takes a drastically different approach to the way that he describes you and me as compared to when he describes Jesus. And so he tells us, he's like, we, we were God's enemies, um, not in just the way that we thought, but also in what we did and what we haven't done. And so, and for those of us who have yet to give our lives to Jesus, that's still true for you in this very moment. Like, you are an enemy of God. You're alienated from Him. You're hostile with God. Even if you think, oh, I'm, like, He's cool. Like, God's cool. Uh, we're all right. I don't really serve Him as my Savior. I don't see Him as King, but we aren't, we aren't that bad with each other. Like, Paul totally blows that idea up. Like, there's no, like, middle ground with God. You're either adopted as his, as his son or daughter, or you are his enemy. And so that would be bad news if that's where we stopped. Um, but we're going to move on to verse 22 because this is, um, this is the beautiful news of the gospel, is that he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And so the beautiful news, the work for you, the work for me has already been done the work that needs to be done to bring us into the family of God has been done once and for all. Through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus, Jesus has made the alienated and the hostile one, one with himself. And so all you have to do is repent. You just, all that, that's just a fancy word for recognizing that you're God's enemy and then believe. And you just turn to Jesus. And again, uh, just more questions just start flooding my mind whenever I read things like this. Like, why, why would God do such a thing? Why would he welcome evildoers into his kingdom? Why would he give grace and hope to hopeless people, hopeless sinners like you and me? Um, like, what have we done to deserve that? And, like, once again, it's like, Tanner, you'd do a lot of good if you just kept reading. And so, in order to present, th- these are why... These are the answers to that question. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So here we get, we get the reassurance that Jesus doesn't just scrape by with the bare minimum. He doesn't just do like the lowest necessary thing to clear the bar. But in the most extravagant way possible, Jesus, Jesus makes us right with God through his death and resurrection. And so let's keep moving to verse 23. It says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. 
And so just right off the bat, this isn't a moralistic kind of workspace contingency that Paul adds on to our, to our checklist. Um, he didn't reveal all this beautiful truth just to kind of con us in to feeling guilty about not meeting certain standards. Um, and I do have to put a disclaimer in here. I'm not a Greek scholar, but I am pretty well versed in how to use Google. And this if at the beginning of the verse could easily be translated um, as since. And so that, at least for me and probably for most of us, um, drastically changes the way that we understand, we interact with what's being communicated to us. And, and I'm also here to tell, I'm not Paul, nor technically am I a minister, um, but I am communicating the same gospel. And so because, because this, um, I don't want us to shift from the hope that we've been given in this gospel of Jesus, um, I want to send us. I want to send us out back into our communities, back into our homes, back into our workplaces, our Zoom meetings, whatever it is that we're doing nowadays. Like I want to send us back in, like into our lives, um, with with just a few things on our mind that we can encourage each other with, that we can sh- uh, sharpen each other with, that we can just be processing as we have conversations in community group, um, in car rides, um, and all that stuff. So. Uh, first, um, if, you, if you haven't found your hope in Jesus, it's very hard to shift from that said hope. And so my first invitation is for you to come to Jesus himself, to experience his goodness firsthand, and to find your hope in Jesus. And so if you, if you feel the weight of your sin, so if you read the verse, and you who are once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, and you recognize maybe for the first time that that was, that is describing you. That, that's not God, like, creating more distance between you and him, but that's actually the kind invitation of a loving father drawing near to you and inviting you, an enemy, to become one of his own. And so... The beautiful, the beautiful thing about this is that whenever you recognize that you're an enemy and you recognize, like, you don't even have to, like, come up with the words to say, but you're just like, I don't want to be your enemy anymore. The answer to that is always yes, and it's always an abundant yes, because we, we can look to the finished work of Jesus through his death and resurrection. And so the second thing for all of us, um, I want us to consider this question, is that do we have a Bible-sized view of Jesus? So do we have a Bible-sized view of Jesus? And so does our view of Jesus line up with the scripture that we read today? Um, or is your view too small? And so it's my, it's my hope that all of us in here will have an ever-increasing view of Jesus. So the longer that we live, the more life that, that happens, the, the good things, the bad things, the more time that we spend with Jesus and his people, um, would we not... Like come up to things in life and like downplay, downplay what's going on, what the Lord's calling us into, with coming up with more excuses and more excuses. And would we truly have an ever increasing knowledge and understanding and just relationship with the living God, and have a just encourage each other in that as we move forward together, um, and and just to have a better understanding next week than we did today, next year, than we did this year, of how much, like how big and majestic and beautiful Jesus is and, the, and really the love that he has for us. 
And so the last question, the last question, number three, that I want us all to consider is that do you have a Bible-sized view of the church? And so do you have a Bible-sized view of the church? So the question from earlier, like hopefully at this point, like the Holy Spirit has been inviting us into and convicting us of ways that we can step into um, as we grow as a church together. Um, you could have a million things that, that came to your mind right away, or maybe you're still trying to process that. And so for all of us, I want to just give us a, just a quick few things to start the wheel kind of cranking on this as we can have a few things to all consider together. Uh, maybe if we had a Bible-sized view of the church, we may take Jesus and his teachings more seriously, knowing that he's the head of our body, and that by doing that, by relating to us in a way, he connects himself to us in a way that we know he wants the best for us. And so we would take him more seriously. We may take discipleship a lot more seriously, knowing that we're all part of the same body. And so we would fight for unity and health among each other. We'd, we'd actually want to see like, the people next to us grow in their walk with the Lord and not just be the same person they are today, tomorrow, and the next day and just go through the motions. But we'd actually invite people into our lives and include people in our calendars as we follow and walk with Jesus together. Um, we may be more generous with our money and our resources. Um, from these verses, knowing the price that Jesus has paid for us could never be outbid, could never be outdone. Um, knowing that Jesus is the creator and the sustainer of all things, that all things are eventually created for him, that we wouldn't be so worried about stacking our, our resources to build our own little kingdom, but that Jesus has actually invited us to, to freely give of ourselves and help advance the kingdom of God together. And so the last thing I had, um, we may be more bold to tell our friends and our neighbors about Jesus, all because we know that Jesus has already done the work to reconcile them to himself. And so that takes the burden off of our shoulders. Um, like we don't have to worry about the words that we say or having the right timing or whatever goes through our heads in those moments. Um, we can rest assured that Jesus has done the work to reconcile them to himself. And so whatever... Whatever we may do, hopefully we've got a lot more things among, among our body that the Lord's communicating to us. But whatever it is that we do, may we do it in a way that honors God, that blesses each other, and blesses, blesses the people in our community. And so let me pray for us. So Jesus, we are just grateful that you're the head of our, our body. Um, we look to you to form us. Um, we look to you, Lord, to save us. And we're grateful that you, you do that with the biggest smile on your face. And so, Lord, would you let us just understand this week as we go, as we're sent into our communities, Lord, that you are with us, that we're going to have things that scare us. We're going to have things that we're just on the edge of our comfort zone, and we don't want to take the next step forward, Lord. But would you just give us the grace to stand next to each other, shoulder to shoulder, and move forward together as we follow you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.